0: here Mark 14 and uh, I've got a helper this evening we're looking at the internet stuff so the volume has been a little low so we're trying to figure that out so Mark 14 uh, we're down to verse number 32 Uh, last time we uh, we looked at that issue back up there in verse 27 and following about the smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be the sheep shall be scattered and uh, we were really looking at Uh, the issue of the shepherd and so forth last time. And tonight we're going to look at the sheep uh, aspect of it. In verse 32, uh, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And and again, when you read this, uh, Mark is uh, very quick to the details. Not a lot of not a lot of extra stuff. Uh, If you come over to Luke uh, 22, and I'm just going to use Luke, but you can do this with Matthew 26. You can do this with John. But in Luke 22, the same the same information here. Uh, just, I just want you to notice the, the 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 marked difference between how Mark is doing, how Mark delivers the details, and how Matthew or Luke here d- does it. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out, and again, they're coming out of the upper room, okay? John 18, 1, they come out. He goes, I'm sorry, John 17, end of 16, they come out of the room. John 17, you have the the real our Father the the Lord's prayer to the Father verse eighteen chapter eighteen they go into the garden so here and he came out and went as he want to to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him so that's where the garden Gethsemane is is at the Mount of Olives when he says there as uh, as he was want this is his normal habit. This is his normal thing. This is why Judas knew where to go betray him, where he was at. This is a common, this is, a, this is a, a, the place where he's always, this is his habit. Verse 40, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, that's not in Mark, okay? And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Now you think about a stone's cast. How far can you throw a stone? Well, it depends. You know, when I was playing baseball in a young man, I could throw. I can't now. I, I, you know, but so. But you think about the issue of the distance, probably me to the back double doors outside. A stone's cast. The, the detail, and kneeled down and prayed, and saying, Father. If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from the prayer and was coming to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Again, note all the detail here. So you get a bigger picture, a broader picture of not only just the facts, okay, which is what Mark's doing, but you also get the history, the, the movement here. He, he, it's just a place where he usually goes, and then he's, he's a stone's throw away from him. So by the way, a stone's throw, Peter and the guys, he leaves the eight, takes the three, and goes... They can literally hear what he is saying in his prayer. He's not sitting over there going, he's praying audibly and they're not too far away. So they ought to be able to hear him. Then he says, well, not only that, then the angels come strengthening. And then he's, he's got sweat drops of blood and, and all of that's going on. But none of that is in Mark. Mark compresses, the, the information he goes he gets right into it, and he doesn't add a lot of things and and he doesn't because he doesn't want to but again it's that portrait again in Mark it's immediately and and then it's that word and 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 you you see you see a lot of things that Mark just kind of leaves out but where Matthew and Luke and John will come in and just really give this this beautiful picture of what's happening, but the reason that Mark's doing what he does and how he does it is he's, he's drawing the reader's attention to the fact that these events are connected, okay? And this happened, and it connected to this, and then it connects to this. Sometimes when you read Matthew and Luke, you get this flow, and you feel a little disconnected, like uh, is this? Mark doesn't do that. Not, Mark is, he, he's like, the events, come back to Mark 14, let Luke go for just a minute. He, they're not, these events aren't just freestanding. They, there's a flow, a connection between them. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is going to happen, and then he's going to go to Calvary. And, and again, it's, it's very important to catch how Mark is putting this stuff together for For us as we read it and study it so verse 32 1432 he goes to gethsemane and there came a place which was named gethsemane now the word gethsemane means an oil press not a wine press but an oil press and oil in scripture is oftentimes associated with the olive oil and the press, and when the and when the pre, when the olives are pressed, and the oil flows out of the press, but so the olive is a picture of the oil, and the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So what you literally get begin to see here is you begin to see how now we've got the Holy Spirit involved in the activity. Uh, come over with me to Hebrews chapter one. And again, Mark is. He's saying things, drawing the the reader's attention, catching the reader's attention to move them and to see. And in Hebrews 1, verse 8, but but unto the Son, he saith, He, the Father, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So you've got the Father talking to the Son. Verse 9 Thou hast loved righteously and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That issue of anointing the Messiah, but with what? With with oil, olive oil, okay? But it's the oil of gladness. Now, come back to Acts chapter 10, because in Acts 10, Peter's gonna pick this up. Acts chapter 10. And when he picks him up, Verse 37, by the way, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Verse 37, that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice Peter helps with that oil of gladness, and he says, really, what was happening is that oil, anointed that oil of gladness, was really the anointing with the Holy Spirit with power. And so, literally, what we're gonna see here as we're going is the anointing of the Messiah with the oil in its fulfillment is when he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Okay? And that's what we're seeing in Mark 14 as he's going to go into Gethsemane, the olive prayer, the oil that's going to go out here now. And what we're going to see is, is, is a complete, we're going to see the complete and total commitment of the Lord Jesus Christ to obey the will of the Father. And when he's In this communion with the Father, by the way, he's going to call him Abba Father here in a minute, not my will, but thy will be done. When he's doing all of that, the Holy Ghost is right there too, operating and functioning. Uh, Come back to Hebrews uh, again, Hebrews 9, if you will, Hebrews chapter 9, And, and it's critically to catch that what Again, what Mark's doing by, by connecting them and bringing in this issue and, and picture is that all three members of the Godhead are going to participate in the garden scene and in Calvary and so forth. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse 14. Hebrews 9, 14. Again here, talking about the cross work. Uh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit... See that through the eternal. There's the Holy Spirit. Offered Himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The oil that anoints Christ. The Holy Spirit. He's involved here as well with that issue of the crucifixion of Christ. He's not over here just sitting there hanging out. It starts in the garden. So God. So you have God the Father. You have God the Son. And now you have God, the Holy Spirit, actively involved in that fulfillment of the promise that of the crucifixion of Christ. So when you come back to chapter 14 and verse 32, they're in Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he takes Peter and John. So he leaves the eight. And takes the three. Now, Judas is gone, so there's only 11 of them. Okay? And literally, the, the setting here is going to be moving, uh, it's, it's going to be rather moving as we go. Now, come over to Leviticus chapter 2, or come back to Leviticus 2. When you're thinking, thinking about the sacrifice issue here that's coming and where he's going, In Leviticus 2, the first five chapters of Leviticus, you see the five offerings, the five sacrifices to the nation of Israel. And uh, I was talking to Carl Coates; he's in Norway. Uh, I talk to him weekly, and we were discussing these guys. And That's what made me think about it. And the fact is, is all five of them sit at Calvary. They rest there. They they look there in the in the different pictures. But in Leviticus 2, uh, verse 1, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord. Okay, so a meat offering. This isn't an animal. This is Genesis 1 when he talks to Adam and Eve and he says of the fruit of the tree, of the meat of the apple, of the fruit you'll eat. So it's, it's literally the, the, the flesh, the, the fruit of the meat of the of the fruit. And it literally is going to become, the meat offering becomes a picture of the purity of the, uh, 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 of, uh, the sacrif- of the nature of Christ, the sinlessness, the, the, the purity of it. Now, I know what happens, and they, they usually say, His offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense. So they usually say the meat offering is flour, fine flour. But it isn't. It's, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the, 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 it's talking about Genesis 1, quite honestly, uh, there and when he talks there about the, the meat um, of, of the fruit. But notice in verse one, notice what, what it's comprised of here. Fine flour, okay, oil, and then frankincense. And frankincense is going to be that sweet-smelling savor to it. Verse 2, And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof and the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to being offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Notice that. They're going to bring this. So what do we take? we got fine flour, Purity and we're going to mix oil with it, and then we're going to add the frankincense to it, and then we're going to go over here and we're going to burn it. Verse 3, And the remnant of the meat offering shall be of, be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, now watch, baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if thy oblation be a meat offering baked in a pan, it shall... See that issue of being baked? That's very... The Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to go to Calvary and He's going to be the, the complete... He's, gonna, he's their completely dedicated, committed, pure offering to the Father. He's going to completely give himself over here, and he's baked in the oven. <laughs> uh, you know the, that that uh, uh, the the one offering, the burnt offering, it's completely consumed, gone. He's talking about when when he says baked in the oven. When <laughs> Linda made cookies the other day, <laughs> and I told her, I said, "Why'd you do that?" Now I'm going to eat them all. So. I ate half, she ate half. Okay? But the thing is, is when they're in the oven, you don't see what's going on. Unless you do what? Open the door and looked. But they didn't do, they didn't have a light, little light button to go, hey, look, it's you know. But when you when you're baked in the oven, you don't see the sacrifice that's transpiring. He so when he talks about Come back to Mark 14. When he's talking about being baked here and going to be the sacrifice, he's talking about an unseen suffering. And that's literally what we're going to see on the cross. There's going to be some suffering in the darkness, those three hours of darkness, that is unseen by all. Verse 32 here, and they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. Now, I know what some do, and that's they say it's a wine press. No, what's what's pressed in the wine press? The grape is, the blood of the grape. And that's the sin offering. That's the blood of atonement. Here's not. Here, this is the oil press. This is is where the Holy Spirit is going to come out here. And and that complete, consecrated fellowship when Christ is on his way to the cross, he's on the cross where where the olive is pressed. And again, it's that picture of the Holy Spirit going to work and, and being a part of it. So as we go through some of this in Gethsemane, <coughs> excuse me, it's you can't miss the setting. He's on his way to the cross, but where does he start? He starts here where the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit's going to be pressed into action and, and worked down through. And he says to his disciples, sit ye here while I should pray. So you sit here, I'm going to go pray. Then, I'm sorry, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Now, Peter, James, and John, the great great three, if you come back into chapter 9, here's why he takes them off with him. One of the reasons. Okay, Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 9, verse 2. And after six days, days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John. By the way, these are the only three that he surnames. He surnames Peter, uh, Simon, Barjona, he calls him Cephas and the rock and all of that. He calls James and John, the voice of God, the sons of thunder, and so forth. And then he takes them apart, they leadeth them up into a high mountain apart, Uh, "...by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus." So here Peter and James and John are taken up on it. In 2 Peter 1, he says, "...we were eyewitnesses of his majesty." They literally saw the kingdom glory of the Messiah. And then they saw their part in that kingdom glory. They got a glimpse of the reality of kingdom glory. Okay? Now, in Mark 14, what are they doing here now? He's going to take them, and he's into the garden, and they now get to see a glimpse of the reality of his suffering, and the conflict that he's going to go through with the adversary. So, they, so when he says, "Come and pray," and you sit here and you do this, and he's got them all, he, he's got the three guys doing it. It's because they have already seen the kingdom glory, but they've got to see the kingdom, the suffering of the of the reality of his suffering before the kingdom glory. This has got to happen, and the Lord's been teaching them this all along he's been moving them from okay guys we're going to do this but before we do this we got to do this and that delay principle that's all through Israel's history he tells Moses you're going to go and you're going to go to Pharaoh and say let my people go but before he lets you go there's going to be 10 plagues and then he might then he's going to let you go but you go down there and you. T- so there's a delay principle over and over and over. And that's exactly what he did with the, with the, with the uh, disciples, with the little flock. This is what's going to come. But before this comes, then this has got to, I got to go do this. So he takes them, verse 33, with him, Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and be very heavy. He, he takes them. They're going to have to see the reality of his suffering and the conflict with the adversary. And so he says, come, watch and pray. See a... See, so we're going to get a picture here of not only the realities and so forth, but we're going to get a picture of their failure in contrast with his faithfulness. So now we're going to see he's going to be faithful to the Father's will, but they're going to be a failure in watching and waiting with him. They're ultimately going to end up going to sleep. And and then we're going to see him not condemn them for it. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't blame them. He just just says, you you needed to sleep. Stay asleep. So the setting here is one where we're going to see his total and complete uh, communion with the Father, faithfulness to get the job done, his submission to the Father's will, and then we're going to see their ultimate failure. Because Peter's going to try to do some things in the energy of his own flesh, and it's a failure. And that's literally what's going to happen here. Verse 33, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and begin to be sore amazed, sore, and, and to be very heavy. And he said unto them, notice, my soul. Sometimes people don't realize that the Lord Jesus Christ had a soul. If he's 100% human, he has a soul. He has the Holy Spirit given to him by the Father. That's that descending, the the baptism issue. Boom, he's got it. And then, obviously, he's got a spirit. But my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. What he's doing... There is an astounding anguish, very heavy, sore, amazed, sorrowful that he's going to go through now. Uh, Come over to John 15. You see, so before all of this, uh, John 15, we're in the upper room in John 15. So you've got this, he, he looks at him and he says, okay, guys, we're going to go over here you guys stay here. You three come with me. Now, I, I know, I, I don't remember who it was. I want to say J. Vernon McGee, but I don't think that was right. He he said the reason that the Lord had to do, work with Peter and James and John and called them away was they're a little more hard-headed than the other ones. <laughs> so he had to get down, and I don't I don't think that's the case because of the other stuff, but he pulls them over. They go, they watch, they pray, and He's, gun, he's very sorrowful, very heavy. But notice in John 15, we're before all of this in the garden, we're in the upper room. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16, we're in the upper room. In chapter 17, he comes down, they come out. He, he gives that prayer to the Father. Chapter 18, verse 1, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Sedron, where, where was a garden, into the which he entered, his, entered and his disciples. And then you have uh, Judas show up, verse 2, and betray him, and now we're over there, okay? So in, verse, in chapter 15, notice, if you will, at verse 11. Now, so he's telling them this before he says, my soul is very sorrowful unto death. Before I'm, he goes into the anguish, he tells them, verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be fulfilled. My joy, your joy. With he, he, so it's about his joy here. My, but what's, in an hour, what's he going to say? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Verse 12, this is my commandment. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 16. I was looking at the wrong 16. Look at verse 18. And they said thereof, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. See, he just told them about the joy, and the disciples missed it. They don't get it. A little while. What's he mean, a little while? See, verse 19 Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. See, if you back up at verse 16, a little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. And they're like, what does he mean, a little while? What is this? They're, what literally is going to happen is, is these disciples don't get it; they're missing what's going on. He's been telling them, "He's like, listen, my joy is in you." And back there in chapter 15, my joy and that your joy might be fulfilled. I'm gonna, I'm with you. I'm gonna leave, and then I'm gonna come back. And they're like, "What's he mean?" Now look at verse 20, 16:20. Verily I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, now watch, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. What's the world going to do when they crucify Christ? They're going to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. What are the the little flock going to do? They're going to lament. They're going to be very sorrowful. But then what happens in three days? He's resurrected, he returns to them, and they should have what? Joy. They don't get it. They're like, what? What does he mean? Verse 21, a woman, when she is in travail, now watch him illustrate it, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world what a weeping for the night joy in the morning see and that's what he's told them about all of this an hour before he's in the garden and he says what my soul is exceedingly sorrowful they don't get it and when you come back to mark 14 that's what we're going to see here verse 34 they're in the garden he goes from happy and joyful time in the upper room to now my sorrow, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. The whole mood has changed. He takes the three, leaves the eight, goes pray, watch, be here with me. Why? Because his soul, the the base, the The basis of your emotions lie in your soul. That's where they sit. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. This emotional swing here, if you will. Why? Because unto death. What does he know is coming? (laughs) Death is coming. And he's going to go and be, be obedient unto death. And he's told them, happy, 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 but now, boom, and they just aren't catching it. They're just like, they don't, don't get it. So verse 35. So he's got, he takes the three, leaves the eight, goes. Now, verse 35, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So now, he, so, so now he, he's, he, he, he's going to go a little further. And now he's going to go do what only he could do. He goes by himself here. He doesn't take them. So literally, if you think about the room, okay, let's just say a stone throws the double doors, the interior double doors. He leaves the six here, takes Peter, James, and John to the double doors, prays there, goes through it the stuff there the okay and then he went a little and fell on the ground then he goes to the out the double doors going outside he doesn't take peter and the and james with him why cuz now he's going to where only he can accomplish and do what needs to be done he knew he couldn't rely on any other to fulfill what now is going to be required of him to do his faithfulness Is on display in the midst of their failure because what's Pete and James and John doing? What's the six up here doing? They're asleep. And they're not. So he's gonna pray, verse 35, and fell on the ground. Obviously, the sorrow has gripped him. And and his face, and and you know what's serious when your face is in the dirt, okay? And, and, and it's just an, ast- an, an, a, 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 uh, an astounding picture here of the change in his thinking. He's been in that upper room with them now. He's been enjoying it, rejoicing, fellowship, communion with them, goes through everything, and now he's looking at the agony of what he's got to go and do now. In verse 35, he says, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, and he said, Abba, Father... All things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Now, Abba Father. <laughs> um, everybody wants to know what the Abba Father is. We'll talk about it here in just a minute. If all things are possible, take it away. And if not, I'll go do it. Not my will, but your will. So in the midst of this all this agony and, 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 and emotional swing here, if you will, you see this moment of complete submission to the Father's will. Now go back up in verse 35 because of that, if it were possible, okay? Because what happens is, is people use this and they, to, to, go, to attack the Lord. Notice that it is not a question. There's no question mark there. It is a what? It is a statement, okay? And what it is, is this is his humanity speaking. And he's not, the statement, if it were possible, is not to get him out of doing anything. It is not to get him out of going to Calvary, all right? In other words, he isn't saying, I don't want to go do this. He's looking at it, and he says, okay, Father, gut check time. Is this really what you want done? It's not, oh, get me out of it, get me out of it, get me out of it. That's actually completely opposite of what the Lord says. It's more of final gut check time. Father, is this really what you want to do here? What he's going to go and do, he he has to have the... He has to have that absolute confidence that this is what the Father wants done, the Father's will. So it's not a question of, can I get out of this or not? But rather, it's, I'm going to go do this, and I just want to make sure. That's why he calls him Abba Father. Okay? Now, Abba Father only shows up in two other places, and it's Pauline, Galatians 6 and Romans 8. And those are our cry. That's the cry of an adult son doing the will of the Father and being in communion and so forth. If you look at Matthew 26, and this really helps, honestly, with what Abba means because everybody's got their own definition of it. If you look at Matthew 26, and if you look at verse 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "Oh, my Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass. See how he says, my father? When you and I cry, Abba, Father, Galatians 6, Romans 8, what we're crying is that intimate relationship between a father and a child because we have an intimate relationship with the father today. If you look over at Ephesians 5, just one verse. I want to stay in Mark, but you got to catch this. Romans 8. We cry Abba, Father. We've got the Spirit of adoption given to us, and we're what heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So everything the, God the Father gives, God the Son, we participate in joint heirship. And because we're in Christ, we have this intimate relationship. Ephesians five, verse one, with God the Father. So much so that Paul will say, "Be ye therefore followers of God as what dear children." Isn't that interesting? What are we? We are dear children. In Romans, he says, we are beloved. We are deeply loved. That's, that's this relationship that we have with the Father. Why? Because we're in his Son. If you, um, oh, I, I told myself don't go down this. But if you look at verse, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed, of Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, so sometimes Paul will just say, go back to Mark 14, Um, he'll say God, but then he'll say Father. Why? Because there's a relationship there that we have, and it's an intimate thing. It's a it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So when he cries, Abba, Father, Abba, that term of a personal life, personal relationship with the Father, my Father, see, much deeper than just trying to have some quirky idea of what the Greek word meant. Just let the English tell you. See, Christ is in complete communion with his Father. And that communion is it's there, it's key, it's complete. It's going to get interrupted here because in a little bit he's going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At the beginning he says what? Father, forgive them. Then it's my God, my God. See how the, the change in the tone and the tenor, why? Because here we got the communion and we're getting everything and now here I'm not a man, I'm a worm and he's bearing the second death and the sin death of for all of humanity. So you've got, so the... the in verse 35, if it be possible, is not really a question, it's a statement. Because he knows what the Father's will is. Look over with me at Hebrews 10. And this sometimes gets lost in wanting to make the Gospels a flowerly thing. <laughs> uh, a synopsis or a harmonization, that's the word I'm looking for. And you got to really kind of back off of that and say, wait a minute, what's really happening here? Because when he says, if it be possible, and Abba, Father, and not my will, but thy will be done, the Lord is not in doubt of what the Father's will is. Like, he's like, okay, tell me again? No, he knows completely and clearly what it is. Look at Hebrews 10, uh, starting verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, the he here is Christ. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. So incarnation. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I, the Son, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's the Father. What does he know? He knows what the Father's will is. Okay, verse 10. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what does Christ know? By the way, verse 8, above when he said sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither didst pleasure therein which are offered by the law, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, period. He knows, he knows that those sacrifices that they gave Moses and the Israel wasn't the blood of bulls and goats won't do it. He's got to go sacrifice. Verse 10, it's the sacrifice, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Uh, look at, down at verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? Forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstools. There's now we're back in Acts 2. Okay? For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, he knows the Father's will. And he knows that the will of the Father is for him to go and to be that one sacrifice for sins forever. He knew it, he understood it from the very beginning. This is way. This is back when, low in the volume of the book, back when he goes way back there, way back before the foundation of the world. He understands what's to happen and where they are and what's to be accomplished. So when you come back, come back to Matthew. You'll see it here in Matthew, Matthew 26. And the reason, I guess, stressing it a little bit more with you is because I've heard so much about, if it be possible, like he's doubting the, the, the will of the Father, okay? And you have to understand, and by the way, you got to grasp here something. Just because the Father said it was his will, until it is accomplished, the will of the Father is not done. Okay? Do you follow that? Just And, and what, you have, what you got is you got to thank Calvin, the Calvinist, because what do they say? In eternity past, Father, the Father foreordained, and so therefore it must come to pass. So it was done. But when you read Matthew 26, just because God planned it and Jesus Christ knew it, He still had to go do what? Go do it. Okay? So until, even though the will of the Father is there, just for God to think it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's got to be what? It's got to be carried out. See? Look at Matthew 26. Look at verse 52. Then said Jesus unto him, talking to Pete, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with The sword. So again, we're in Peter's defending the Lord, we're in the garden, the betrayal, and so forth. Verse 53 Thinkest thou that, now watch, I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Now we have a song. He sends 10,000, well, 12 legions is a little more than 10,000, just FYI. (laughs) Okay? A legion is about 6,000 troops you got 12 of them. That's 72,000 angels. But notice what the Lord says. Don't you think that I could get out of this if I wanted to? Well, yeah, he could have. He very easily could have said it and it would have happened. But notice verse 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? You see, he knew that he could get out of it by just saying, no, we're done. It's over. But he he also knew that what? He didn't come to do that. He came to do the will of the Father. So he still had to accomplish what the scriptures said had to be accomplished so that it became a reality. Say, and that's what he's doing here. He's, he says, listen, if it be possible, go, go back there to Mark 14. Otherwise, we'll never get off of this. He knew it was the Father's will, but he's just clarifying to make sure we're still on, we're still a go. Okay, gut check time, you know. Is it still all systems go? You know, the Father didn't change his mind or come up with something... No, it's go, let's go. So verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And the nevertheless there, uh, I'm going to go do it. If you say go, we're go. If you say don't, we don't, but I'm on board, I'm with you. Now, if you hold here and come over to John 18, this nevertheless, nevertheless, John 18. John 18, again, uh, when he prays that issue there about Abba Father, nevertheless, what I, take this cup from me, what I will, but what thou wilt. He, chapter 18 is the answer to it, if you will. Verse 1, again, they're in the garden. Verse 2, Judas comes to betray him. Uh, if you drop down to verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having, the sword, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheaf, the cup which my father hath given me, Shall I not drink it? Now, there were Matthew 26. Now watch verse 11. Again, the cup that he's what? Given me. See? There's no question that he's going to the cross. There's no question that he's going to accomplish the Father's will. He's coming out of the garden. Okay? He comes out with with the the cry of the Abba Father, and he knows that the cup that the Father's given him, it's time for him to go and do it. So when you come back here, he asks Peter, you know, come on, Pete, you know the deal here. I've been telling you. Again, they're just missing it. So when you come back to Mark 14, again, if it be possible. Well, the Father says, that there, this is the only way, That this, ha, this is the way it has to be. There's no other way for the redemptive program and plan for man to be accomplished. The son says, in complete agreement, let's get on with it, time to go. And the Holy Spirit says, complete agreement, let's go. We're on board. Verse 36 there, he, when he says there, take away this cup from me. Now, that cup is very important. If you look across the page to verse 23, because he's already told you what the cup is. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. The cup represents the blood that's going to be shed, what he has to go do. So it represents a very special aspect of the cross work. It's not just the suffering physically, okay and the physical death, but now it's the, the cup is going to represent him entering into, to the spiritual death, into our death and that issue of him going and ultimately paying the wage of sin. And that's it, that issue of entering into our uh, second death, as Revelation calls it, in the lake of fire, and that's literally what we're dealing with. It, it, you're in Mark. Look over at chapter 15, and verse 33, 15:33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So the sixth hour is noon, ninth hour is three, and what is there? There's there's darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, Elama, Sabachtin, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What Darkness is over, okay, it's covered. Now he's entering into that, that darkness that can be felt. Colossians 1, Ephesians 6, the, the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness. And he, when we get over into Mark 15, we'll spend more time in it. In that, he, God tells Abraham, your seed's going to go down, and it's going to be a great horror of darkness. And what Jesus Christ literally is experiencing in his soul, in his inner man, is that transformation from a man to a worm. It's the second death. Physical death, yes, but now we're talking about spiritual death. And the wage of sin, the result of this of sin is that complete uh, corruption. When when he talks about where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, we looked at it in Mark 9. We went back in 9. He's talking about that that, that condition that sin takes you your soul and drags it all the way down into the literal death of your inner man. It's done. And the Lord is going to go through that, and he's going to work through that. And on the cross, that's where he's suffering it. On the cross, he comes in, and he's going through and experiencing our second death, man's second death. And that cup is a picture of God's wrath against sin of all time. And in that darkness, he bears that. Come back with me to Jeremiah 25. You guys are looking at me like you're tired. So let's move your fingers. Jeremiah 25. And this issue about the cup, and and again, by the way, when you're in darkness, we were hunting a couple years ago, and we hunt into the early evening hours, and it gets dark you know, you can't tell what time it is. You can't tell which way to go unless you got a flashlight and a light. Because in darkness, you lose all sense of direction and time and everything. Where in the light, or if, and by the way, you got to get out of the city to experience that because you've got to get away from the city lights. See, in, the, in that total darkness, that ability to discern and perceive time and the passing of time, He's experiencing that God's wrath against sin. Jeremiah 25, if you look there at verse 15, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hands, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. And they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Woo! What's he going to do? It's the cup of the fury of God against what? Against sin. And he's going to make all the nations out there drink of it. Verse 27, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, the nations out there, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink ye and be drunk, and spew and fall and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. They're going to drink that cup of the, fur- the furious wrath of God against the sin, and you know what? They're, gonna- they're just going to be consumed by it. Psalm 75 over there, he talks about them drinking the dregs of the cup. So they're going to drink it down, then they're going to get in there and wring out more and drink more. And again, there, <laughs> he, when he looks into that cup, he, he sees all of this. And it's again, it, it, it's a it's a it's a moment of the reality of what's about to happen. Not of him. Do I, I don't want it I don't he's I'm on board it's all okay we're still good to go the plans and and so it becomes more than a physical come back to mark 14 suffering it's also now that suffering of the wrath of God second Corinthians 5:21 and he was made to be sin and that's what he's looking at and that's what he's looking down into verse 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. He, he come, he's been in the garden, he comes out, and what's he finding him? Sleeping. And he, and, he, and he's like, I just ask you to sit here an hour. You know, watching, what's going on, guys? The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice, he's talking about Peter. He talks to Peter and about Peter. And, and again, the others are there too, and he's not leaving them out. And he, he says, Simon, see, There. You're sleeping. You represent the whole group here. They're all asleep. But yet when he says Simon, 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 his old flesh name, his old life name, there's a reason why he picks picks Peter to make the example of, if you will, not in a bad way. He's not condemning Peter or any of that. Uh, Come back to Luke 22. We got five minutes. We can do this. Luke 22. And if not, then we'll take a few more. Luke 22, okay? Because he's talking to Simon, to Peter specifically, because, again, Peter is the leader of the group here. Uh, Luke 22, if you look at verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Simon, old life, your flesh life here. He decides to have you. Now, you is the plural, so the little flock, the group. But I have prayed for thee. Singular, that's Peter. That thy faith fail not. And when thou, who's the thou? Who's the thou? Peter, art converted. Strengthen thy brethren. You see, he confronts. Peter, specifically because he's the leader and he's the one who's going to be in charge of leading them back to faithfulness. That's when he he says there, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted. In other words, your faith is going to fail, but when you recoup and you get be- and you get going over here again, what are you going to do? You're going to strengthen thy brethren. Remember what the Lord says to him at the end of John three times? Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Feed the flock, feed the flock. Feed- and it becomes on Peter. So in Mark 14, here in verse 38, when he talks to Peter, it isn't that he's just calling out Peter on the carpet, but he's talking to him because he's the one going to lead him back into faithfulness. Verse 38, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Again, you, our Father, the Matthew 6 prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, Temptation, you know, we our daily bread lead us not into temptation. They are going to be facing a time of temptation. And when they are, they're gonna to have to they're gonna to have to deal with the adversary and the spiritual darkness, just as Christ is going to go and successfully face, yet they are failing they're asleep they still have to face it in the future see he's again he's teaching them even in the moment here that look you guys are going to have to face the same stuff i'm facing and here's the provision for it look at my communion with the father and my relationship here with the father you have that same relate in other words guys you can't trust your own resources you got to trust who you are in me you gotta trust who you are in the Father. That's why he'll tell him, You're in me, and I'm in you, and we're all in the Father. You know why? You gotta trust that resource. Again, remember what Peter said. I won't, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm never leaving. The sword cuts the guy's ear. And yet, what's gonna happen here in a little bit? Peter's gonna fall away. What's Peter doing? He's operating in his own resource. Verse 39. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. <laughs> they had no idea of what was happening. Even though in John 16, in, John, in the upper room, an hour, probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours now, because he said, Wait, watch for me an hour. Can't you do that? Thou one hour. So we're a couple hours after the upper room. They still, he's told them what was happening. I'm your joy. You're my joy. Something's going to happen. We're going to have a little trouble. And then I'll come back to you. And they were spiritually asleep. And in the midst of all of their failure, again, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't attack them. He just looks at them and says, "Sleep on, guys." Verse forty-one: There, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. We'll pick up here next time. Why? You're going to need your sleep because the adversary, the temptation, the testing is coming. And in, again, in all of in, their failure is obvious. And what they're learning is that they can't trust themselves. But who can we trust? Him, the Messiah, the Savior. Okay? And that's the picture. And again, what Mark's doing is he's linking it all together. No one can stand on its own. And again, when we get down into 41 and following there, he's going to rise up, let us go, low, and then the betrayal happens And then the sword, and then next thing you know, the trial happens. And it's boom, 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 boom. Chapter 15, the Lord's crucified. It's that quick. It's just moving right along. But what Mark's showing is is these guys are stumped. They're struggling. They're not getting it. They're just missing it by a little bit. But it's impacting them negatively at the moment. And then again, and down the road, he's going to take care of them. Okay? They have to learn that they need to trust him as their resource, not themselves. All right? Okay, dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into this time in the Lord's life, his thought process, the disciples and what they're going through and dealing with. And then at the end, the praise and the glory and the honor is all of yours as you demonstrate your faithfulness at every turn. In your name we pray, amen.